Alrighty, guys, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in just a few verses this morning, verses 16 through 18. As we've kind of mentioned already, but just want to mention again to say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here. And we just want to really underline that fatherhood is a gift from God that points us back to Him in its best cases. We know that for some of you in the room, maybe Father's Day is a day of, of sadness a day of shame or guilt or fear or anything. It's a, all of these issues and holidays can be days of great joy for some and great sadness for others. And so we want to, as we are called to do in the Scriptures, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We don't want to diminish it because it's hard for some people and we want to grieve, weep with those who weep. We don't want to exaggerate it for others. As we come to our passage today, we're continuing to go through the Sermon on the Mount What it looks like to be a people who are different in this world is a part of the way of Christ. We're coming to a topic today that is one that maybe a lot of us haven't given a lot of attention to, and this is the issue of fasting. And so as we come to the Word today, we just want to ask that the Spirit would humble us and help us to see what it looks like for us in this 21st century world that we live in to follow Jesus in all the ways that He has called us to. Even if for some of us this is very stretching or even very strange. Let's read Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, that you might help us be fully present with you now. We thank you, God, that you don't ask us to to come in denial or disassociation with the hurt or the happiness in our lives to be present with you. So we just ask, God, that you would help us now to bring all that before you and cast our cares upon you. We pray, God, now as we look into your word that you would open our eyes, that we might see truth, that you would pierced down into the motivations and intentions and desires of our heart. We pray, God, that even as we look at this issue that may be strange to some, that you would not let us be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That you would shape us to be your good news people in this world, in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our own hearts. We need you, God, now. We ask you to help us, help our unbelief. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's different types of working out or getting stronger. There are some people who work out so that they can wear tight shirts, so that they might can get a date, so that they might can look good. And there's other people who work out so that they might put on a uniform and win a game, or they might put on a uniform and fight in a war. 
And we think of these spiritual disciplines that Jesus has been talking about in Matthew chapter 6. He's talked about the discipline of giving to those in need. He's talked about the discipline of prayer. And this week he talks about the discipline of fasting. And what he is saying over and over again in each of these matters is that in our lives of spiritual disciplines or habits of grace or ancient practices, whichever you prefer, is we are not to do these acts these exercises, these workouts, as it were, so that we might flex before other people. That the purpose of these disciplines are not so we can do the equivalent of putting on our little brother's t-shirt so that we can show how big our spiritual biceps are. No, the the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is so that we might be in the kingdom so that we might live in the way of the kingdom, so we might wage that good spiritual warfare for the sake of the glory of God, but also the good of our neighbors. Is that we live in a world, in a city, in neighborhoods, in our own homes and hearts, where people are broken, where they are burnt out, and where they are bored, and they do not need a group of Christians, particularly another group in the religious South, who are simply doing spiritual disciplines for the sake of showing their own strength. And maybe for those of us who are familiar with fasting, this may be one of the spiritual disciplines that sadly can be used for the biggest flex. We sort of think this is a spiritual discipline maybe for the so-called varsity Christians. The ones who are really holy. The ones who really are close to God. But as we are going to see this morning, partially from our text and some from going elsewhere because the text sort of requires it, is that fasting is not a call to a spiritual flex. It's not to be a sign of strength, but actually fasting flows from a sign of weakness. Fasting is a reflection of our humility and our total dependence upon God when it is practiced in the way of Jesus. The whole story of God is a story of this battle between humanity seeking to declare their independence and to show their own strength. Versus the way of God that has created people to find their deepest fulfillment in embracing their need being met in finding and knowing that God is enough. So we must not fast to flex, but as we'll see, we fast to align with our Father's heart. How do we do this? First, by learning what fasting really is. We notice verse 16, Jesus doesn't say... If you fast, notice verse 17, he doesn't say if you fast, but he says when you fast. This is important as we get started. Jesus here in this whole Sermon on the Mount, he's showing them not that he has come to do away with the law, that he's come to do away with how the people of God have followed him, but he is coming to show them the true and better and deeper fulfillment of these things. So Jesus is not saying, you're not going to fast anymore. Later in the book of Matthew, the the Pharisees are going to ask Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And he's saying, well, while the bridegroom is with them, while I'm here, it isn't necessary. This is a time of feasting because there's times of feasting, but there will be times of fasting. 
And so Jesus here is assuming that those who follow him will engage in seasons of fasting in their life. And that assumption is for all of us in this room today. No exceptions. Now there are some dietary issues that need to be attended to. We're going to maybe speak to those, but if not, if you have confusion around that, if it's your health, obviously this is not a new legalism that Jesus comes to lead us into. But it is a practice that he wants to remind us of. When you fast, not if you fast. But there's some misunderstandings, I think, around what this means that may be good for us to clear up. Is the common assumption sometimes when people think of fasting is because like many things, we only know about this, what we've heard others talk about it, maybe we've not been to the scriptures, is that fasting is some sort of way that we manipulate God into giving us what we want. Somebody even said in the studying this week is that some people view fasting almost as like an addition to prayer that's kind of like buying an extra lottery ticket. You know, if I buy two, then I've got more of a chance. So if I'm praying for something, if I add fasting to it, then maybe I can get God to really give me what I want. As if fasting is a way that we show God, I want this really bad. You know, it's like a a kid going to their parents and saying, what extra chores can I do around the house so that you'll let me go spend the night with my friend or so that you'll buy me this toy? But as we look in the Scripture, the primary places, and we some would even argue all the places of fasting, is you're not fasting so that God gives you some special benefit that you want. Fasting also is not most normally seen in Scriptures, if at all, as just some general spiritual discipline that you do for your personal spiritual formation. That you just say, I'm just going to fast for no particular reason, but, but just because maybe this will help me grow as a Christian. But we look in the Scriptures what fasting is. It is a choice to not eat or maybe give up something else, but most normally, food in response to a specific sin or a specific situation where you come to God not saying, God, give me what I want, but you come to God saying, God, show me what I should want. Show me what you want. It's not instrumental, as one commentator says, for the sake of benefit, it's responsive. We don't have time this morning to go through all the fasting that we see in the Bible. I would encourage you to go and test that yourself. It's the elimination of food, or again, potentially something else, for an intensification on seeking to align ourselves with the heart of God in response to a specific situation, whether individually or corporately. The one fasting, one person says, seeks to enter into God's pathos or into what God thinks or feels about death, sin, war, violence, or an injustice. So when we look throughout the Old Testament and we see when people fast, it's in response to something. We see the people of Nineveh, as Jonah proclaims the trueness of God, they fast because it's been revealed to them, wow, we, we are out of relationship with God. We are in rebellion to the true and holy God. When you look in, in, in books like Daniel and Nehemiah, as they lead people 
to fast and pray, it's, it's in response to the revelation of the depths of, of sin and need in their life. Fasting also can be in response of, of, of noticing a distance before the Lord. In Psalm 69, the, the psalmist speaks of his fasting as he seeks a more deep and intimate relationship with the Lord. In the book of Isaiah, as the prophet decries their fasting as just spiritual showmanship, we see pursuing fasting can be in response to matters of injustice or suffering in the world. So God says, is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? Fasting also is in response to grief, providing us seasons and space to lament and to be sad over suffering and death. Fasting takes place when we don't know the next step that God has for us as His people. Even in the book of Acts, the disciples, when they're seeking to plant churches, when they're seeking to discern new leaders, often will fast and pray that the Lord would give them wisdom. Fasting can be in preparation for new seasons of our life where we step into unknown places. We know that Jesus Himself, as He was baptized and then led into the wilderness by the Spirit, in this very book of Matthew, fasted on the outset of His public ministry. <coughs> and many times in the Scripture, as God's people come up against battles, enemies, and situations where they need protection and deliverance and a victory that they cannot obtain through their own power, they would fast and pray. But in all these things, they were not coming to God to twist His arm or to manipulate Him into giving them what they wanted. They came to God saying, God, we need You to align not Your heart with ours, but to align our hearts with Yours. John Stott says, first and foremost to fast is to humble ourselves before the Lord. Not to lift ourselves up before Him. Another writer, John Piper, says, fasting is a physical exclamation point at the end of the sentences. I need you. I want you. I long for you. You are my treasure. I want more of you. The heart of fasting is longing. We're putting our stomach where our heart is to give added intensity and expressiveness to our ache for Jesus. We fast to express our longing or our ache for all the implications of Jesus' power in the present moment that is not completely realized. We want to see people healed. We want to see people saved. We want to see marriages redeemed. And we ache and we long for this to happen. Therefore, we ask Jesus to come by putting this exclamation point at the end of our desires. Our whole body, our whole self is put into this to show that we need God. There's an iconic photograph of a Chinese man in front of military tanks. I can never pronounce the place right. Tiananmen Square. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If I was good... With the devices, I would have sent a picture. But if you don't know this picture, just imagine these at least four to five 
Chinese military tanks, and there's this, this lone, ordinary man who's standing in front of them with his white shirt and his black slacks on. And he's standing there, putting his body on the line for the sake of what he believes to be the true and the just. And the video reveals, if you watch it, as those tanks move to seek to go around him, wherever they move, he moves. Now he was doing this because just a day earlier, several hundred, and and we're not sure, some say maybe even several thousand of his fellow countrymen were killed for standing in defiance to the government in that very square. Now supposedly there isn't any super reliable information about who this person is or what happened to them. But what is true and how whatever our beliefs on any of the specifics of that matter might be, is he stood there putting his body on the line in a longing to see something greater than him stopped and something greater than him gained. I think to a certain degree, this is a picture of what we're talking about in fasting. Because we're not sure what the outcome is going to be. But God so moves our hearts in response to a specific sin situation in our lives and in our world that we are no longer content to merely talk, but to get as much of ourselves invested into the matter as possible. It's not as if God is the tank that we're trying to stop, not at all. But the world, the flesh and the devil inside us and all around us Sometimes when we put our body on the line, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm not feeling what I should feel about this issue. I'm not as broken over my sin as I should be. I'm not as broken over this suffering in the world as I should be. I'm just going to take this step of faith to bring my whole self, my whole body into this season, into this moment that you might align my heart with yours that you might help me to open-handedly follow your will. I'm not coming here to tell you what to do. I'm coming here in this situation saying, God, you tell me. You show me. You show us as a people where your heart is. We are seeking you. We are seeking you more than that next food, more than that next fix, more than that next bit of fun, whatever it may be. Not to manipulate you, but to follow you. And no doubt some of you in this room have specific sins in your life that you have confessed, but if you are honest, you've done so at a very superficial level. You've not been broken over that. You've not heard, as it were, those those words in James where he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Instead, you've, you've confessed, but then you've distracted, you've denied, you've downplayed. And it may be today that what God is calling you to, what Jesus is calling you to, is to set aside some, some moments in your life, in your week, or some seasons, to where you say, I, I'm not going to play around anymore. I don't know what God wants me to do in response to this, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat lunch or breakfast or supper on this particular day. 
And I'm going to come before Him and I'm going to pray what we've already prayed this morning. Search my heart, O God, and show me my heart. Show me where I need to repent, not just at the level of behavior, but at the level of my desires, of my motivations. Show me what I need to give up more. Because it may be that the easiest thing for you to do is to give up a meal. But the hardest thing for you is to give up whatever that other thing is in your life that Jesus really wants to see killed. For some of you, it may be a distance from the Lord. You're in that dry season, that dark night of the soul that all of us, I believe, at some points as Christians usually face. And maybe you've started to believe that the Lord is stiff-arming you, or keeping you at arm's length, when instead what He is doing is He's wanting to invite you to seek Him more than ever before and to find Him more than ever before. It may mean that that means... You're only watching two episodes of Netflix a night instead of one or none. And you just go out to your porch or your backyard on these summer nights and you just sit there and wait. You give up one thing so that you might gain something greater. For the others of you, it may be a matter of injustice in this world. You know, technically this neighborhood is in what is called even a food desert because it's, it's over a certain miles, two and a half miles away from a grocery store. And so for people who don't have cars, that's a more of a significant thing. For most of us, that's not a big deal. It could be another issue, but instead of fasting, just giving up food, it may be you give something to someone else during that time. It could be a big decision in your life. There could be a suffering in your life that you've not grieved yet. For many people, deep bitterness, anger, and doubt is not because you need to repent. Sometimes that's the case, and we've already spoken to that at length. But sometimes you just need to grieve before the Lord. You need to give yourself space to be sad, to cry, and to get alone and to scream. Maybe to punch something that won't break or you won't break. That may be what this fasting looks like for you. Maybe some of you, I've heard this before, one of, a friend or a spouse needs to say, I need you to leave for a weekend or a night. I need you to go check into a hotel room. And lock yourself in there with nothing but the Word of God and your prayer journal. Not leaving to eat. And you're going you're to hash some things out in your heart and before the Lord. When Jesus says to us here, when you fast, the expectation is that we will have these seasons, moments in our lives we seek the Lord in response to these things. The next Jesus here teaches us a little bit about how not to do this and how to do this because we are so prone even when we do the best of things to end up doing things in a way that is just taken over particularly by our hyper-religious culture where everything becomes a matter of showmanship. So Jesus here tells them, notice, do not fast 
like the hypocrites. Don't look gloomy, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now let's remember, when Jesus is talking about hypocrites in this context, he's not talking about people who don't do what they say they're going to do. No, he's talking about people who do the right things, but they do the right things for the wrong reasons. Saying, don't fast like that. Just like he said, don't give or serve the poor like that. Don't pray like that. What are your motivations? Their motivation is that they fast so that they could be seen. Most historians believe that the Pharisees would have fasted twice a week, probably on Monday and Thursday. It would have been set, and just like their set times of giving to the poor and their set times of prayer, this would have all been done very publicly, and they would have did it, Jesus says here, likely not all of them, but many of them for show. They disfigured their faces. Now, we're not clear what this means, if it means that they rubbed dirt on their faces or if they just looked really gloomy and miserable so people would say, hey, what's going on? And they could say, well, you know, I'm fasting because I live my life to the glory of God and the good of others. Because we have to remember, hypocrites know the right language. Hypocrites very likely would have said, we are not doing this in order to be seen by man. But since you noticed... Let me talk about me. They wanted other people to be amazed at their spiritual disciplines, their spiritual performance. So they were not responding to a sacred moment of revelation of sin or suffering. They are responding so that they might have their moment. This is my time to shine. But they have their award and that's it. Hypocrites miss out on intimacy with the Father, a true change of heart, a true change of others or whatever situation, and they miss out on the better portion. They miss out. And we'll say more on this in a minute, but I just feel led to say it now. In some circles within Christianity right now, and North American Christianity, I praise God that there is a heightened new emphasis on spiritual disciplines or what we might call the ancient practices or habits of grace. People are talking about things like living with simplicity. People are talking about Sabbath. People are talking about fasting. People are talking about meditation and communion. And praise the Lord. We need more of that. We've lost that in the church. But the enemy always, the world, the flesh, and the devil, always wants to take what is good and distort it. And if we're not careful, we will be unwitting Pharisees who live lives of simplicity, of abstinence, of fasting, of Sabbath, of solitude, of silence, of prayer, of meditation. But we will do it from a heart of comparison and spiritual competition with other people. For our own glory, even if only in our own eyes and not for the glory of God. And we will have our reward and it will be gone. So what Jesus says is he says in verse 17, notice when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying now become another type of fake person. So like you feel really bad. 
and I just want you to put on a fake smile. No, most people would see anoint and wash your face. Jesus is saying, just go on with life as normal. Right? Don't, don't make a big production of it either way. Right? So you're fasting, probably going to be hungry. You might be a little lethargic. You might be hangry. Right? And so, but, but either way, don't walk around like Mr. Mopey or Mr. Mad, but also don't walk around and people say, how's it going? Oh, I'm fine. Jesus is not saying people can't know about our fasting. I mean, again, just like he said about giving to the needy in secret and praying in secret, Jesus does those things himself publicly. Jesus has went on this big 40-day fast out into the wilderness. It would have been known. We've read about it. It's public. So it's not lying to people. It doesn't mean that you and yourself, your family, your home, our fight clubs, our missional communities, our church as a whole couldn't announce that we're having times of corporate fasting. It's about the heart. It's about the motivation. Are you doing this to be seen by God? Are you doing this to be seen by others? Are you doing this in the audience of the world? Are you doing this in the audience of the Father? What Jesus is saying here to make fasting about being seen by others is a supreme exercise in missing the point. Because the point of fasting, again, is that response to a sacred moment of what the Spirit is doing in our lives, in our community, or in our world. We live in a world right now of moral outrage. Some of it is ridiculously silly. Some of it is very warranted. And there's probably many other things we should be broken and outraged over. We're not. But in our social media age, and there's, there's particular things, temptations with every age. So this isn't worse than any other century or age. Everybody has their things. On that note, I just want to say this because I don't want this to sound like that. You know, I saw a, a, two pictures put side by side once of people riding in a subway train, everybody looking at their phone. And, you know, people want to say, look at these people on their phones. And then they showed one from several centuries ago but on a subway and everybody looking at a newspaper and nobody talking to each other. So anyway, those might not be the same. But what I'm saying is just to lead into this because I want to speak real directly, though, to this social media age is caring very deeply for things sometimes can simply just be posturing. That is, you think that if you make a post about something online, then you have really became a warrior for the truth. And you're done. All right, everybody saw that you spoke on this. Some of you in this room, when maybe justice issues or sin issues arise, you're like afraid. If I don't make a public statement, you know, every, everybody's just going to think I'm complicit. It's confusing times with this stuff. And others of you think, if I, if I make this post, then now all of a sudden that makes me like a real change agent in the world. A technical term for this is virtue signaling. You don't really care about something. You just want people, you just want to signal that you do. This is the type of thing that Isaiah was speaking about when he spoke about fasting. I think it's the sign of thing that Jesus is thinking about. He's saying, don't, don't do this just to be seen by others. 
If fasting is this response to sin and injustice in the world, then you need to do it. You need to care. But make sure that your heart cares and not just your fingers or your thumbs. This is kind of a cliche, but I think there's something true to it. That it may be that some of the heroes in heaven will surprise us because they're people that we saw very little of or heard little from when we were on earth. Because they were the people who were praying. I mean, somebody did a five-second post and somebody else prayed for five hours. Somebody else scolded a politician about a policy and how it reflected to the poor. And somebody else went and gave their lives to love the poor. Now, it's not always an either or. It could be a both and. But what Jesus is saying here, he's not looking for some theoretical, superficial, showy, spiritual exercise. He's looking for people's hearts to be aligned with the Father. And to not whether anybody sees it or not. Jesus is calling us here to guard against idolatry and all the spiritual exercises, in particular here, fasting. Some of us may be tempted to fast in view of the particular idol we love to serve. For some, that may be control. Some of us who have issues with, with our, our body image need to be really careful when it comes to fasting. It's because if we're not careful, we use it, and I'll confess more to this myself in a minute, we use it like as an opportunity to kick off a diet. And we'll kind of just baptize it with some spirituality. Others of us may use it for control like we're trying to twist God's arm. Like, you know, my child is not a believer, I'm going to fast, and if God doesn't save them or do what I want, then I'm done with Christianity. For others, it's approval. So some of you may have friends or certain circles where you know the spiritual disciplines are being highly emphasized, and that's a great thing. But if you know that if you can fast and somehow just signal that to them, then you're going to like be accepted. Like you're, you're just like the modern-day monk that everybody's been waiting for. For others of us, it may be comfort. You may think, well, how in the world could fasting have anything to do with my comfort? That's a denial of my comfort. But sin is so insidious. As we can find ourselves, again, thinking things like, no food tastes as great as feeling thin feels. And somehow we warp fasting in to this way of just making ourselves feel better and not aligning with the heart of God. And most certainly, as Jesus says here, the idol of performance is it becomes just a way that we show to others how great we are, and sadly even maybe a way that we think we gain greater acceptance with God. Jonathan Pennington says on this passage, the desire to have others reward one with praise for piety is a powerful drug. Being rewarded for your faithfulness to Jesus can be a powerful drug. Jesus says, don't do it for that. Your 
robbing yourself of the deeper fulfillment of the Father. And so we need to grow in this, I believe Jesus is saying, as in such a way, to borrow a phrase from someone that I certainly don't endorse everything they say, is, is this phrase of being an ordinary radical. Fasting is kind of a radical thing, if you want to use that goofy word. It's like abnormal. So Jesus is expecting we'll do this, but he's saying don't do it as like this extraordinary exercise that gets you glory and praise. But a part of just the ordinary stuff of life is you respond to sacred moments and sacred leadings of the Spirit. So we fast by learning what it really is, responding to sacred moments with our whole body response. We learn from Jesus how not to do it is spiritual showmanship. But the last thing here is we must do it by leaning into the Father's love. So notice this last phrase. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We've said this with each of these passages in this, in this Mark 6. Your Father sees you. It's Father's Day. I don't know what your experience with your father was or is, but maybe you felt like you had to be good at a sport so that he would see you. Maybe you felt like you had to get certain grades so that he would see you. Or be a real man in a certain way so that he would see you. But Jesus is saying here, the Father sees you. Jesus here is giving you a promise. He sees you already. You don't have to fast so that He will see you. You fast because He does see you. And He loves you. He's not giving you a hoop to jump through so that you can have intimacy with Him. He's giving you a pathway to experience the intimacy that you already have with Him. This is the gospel. My fasting story is so messy. I've, I've did lots of different kinds of fast in my life. I have to confess, I've not did them as much recently, and I'm convicted by this text. But I know sometimes I've fasted in all of these distorted ways, and a lot of times, you know, I'd fast breakfast. You know why I'd fast breakfast? Because I usually don't eat breakfast. Right? So just wait and break fast at lunch. Okay? And maybe sleeping through the fast. Right? So I might have gave up food, but I gained an extra hour of sleep. At times, I've wanted to trick myself into losing weight and thought that might be a spiritual way to do that. I've wanted to impress myself with my devotion. This will show that I'm really serious. A true Christian. Or a varsity Christian, as it were. At certain times, I've, I've talked about fasting probably to just motivate others to get serious. But more often than not, I've, I've not fasted probably because I've just been deeply broken over my sin or suffering or to seek God to do something new that I didn't know what that might be. So we have to rejoice this morning as we prepare to come to the table that not only does the Father see us, but the Father has sent the perfect faster in our place. This is why Jesus went into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness to be the true and better Adam, 
the true and better Israel and the true and better us. And he was willing to lay aside every comfort in response to the greatest, the greatest need in the world. Our reconciliation to the Father and the renewal of all things for his glory. And as he went to the cross to fulfill all that that fasting pointed towards, he covered all of our mixed motives. This is good news why you can go out today. Whatever confusion you have around this and whatever mixed motivations you have around this, and you can try it. And you can know you might not do it perfect. And it's going to be okay. The Father's not going to kick you to the curb because you didn't get it right. Because Jesus got it right. And His righteousness covers our righteousness and lack thereof. This same Jesus rose from the grave to give us His Spirit so that we might align with the heart of the Father in these sacred moments. No doubt this week or sometime in the future in response to this Word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you fast and I want you to trust that he's going to empower you to take the next steps of faithfulness in that if you have health issues or other things you may need to talk to somebody else talk to a doctor seek discernment there's no shame in that but I just want to encourage you don't turn the voice of the spirit down as he prompts you in whatever way he does to respond to serious situations sins or sacred moments in your life remember that He is with you. That He loves you. There's a practice that took place in the medieval church called self-flagellation. I don't think this was ever broadly celebrated, but basically it was where you just beat yourself in response to your sin as a sign of penance or as a way to share in Christ's sufferings in addition to His death on the cross. I just want to remind us, this is not This is not what we're doing in fasting. You're not penalizing yourself for your sin. You're not penalizing yourself or others for suffering. No, Jesus has bore the stripes that we deserved. We're fasting not to pay for our sufferings or to add to Jesus, but because Jesus has suffered for us. God is not going to love you more or less based on your fasting. But you may experience Him more deeply through it. Dallas Willard has said, Grace is opposed to earning, but is not opposed to effort. There's effort to do here. It's a good Father who is not asking you to torture yourself to prove you really love Him, but to experience more of that love. I want us to imagine... Our church taking this seriously. Your missional community, your fight club, your, your own home, your family, your roommates, yourself. I can't tell you what that's going to look like, but I want you to imagine that. Under the finished work of Christ and in the way of Christ, what is it going to look like you, for you to respond? And as we close this sermon, and in this whole section on the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to hear this poem by someone named Wendell Berry. He says, once there was a man who filmed his vacation. He went flying down the river in his boat with his video camera to his eye, making a moving picture of the moving river, 
upon which his sleek boat moved swiftly toward the end of his vacation. He showed his vacation to his camera, which pictured it, preserving it forever. The river, the trees, the sky, the light, the bow of his rushing boat behind which he stood with his camera, preserving his vacation even as he was having it, so that after he had had it, he would still have it. It would be there. With a flick of a switch, there it would be. But he would not be in it. He would never be in it. And what Jesus is wanting to do as we close this section in the Sermon on the Mount is to warn us of living a Christian life for others to see or for us to record even that we might see. But we're not really in. We're not really present before the Father. We're recording it. We're showing it. But we're not living it. So we're missing it. So in all these spiritual disciplines, but today in view of fasting, we don't do these things to flex, but to align with the Father's heart. Father, we thank you that you are present with us. And we ask you as we come before the table and rest in Christ's finished work to just free our grip from all the ways that we pursue you only to be seen by others or even to be seen by ourselves. And we thank you that where we have, we now know there is no condemnation because of the blood and the body of Christ that we will receive now by faith. In whose name we pray, amen.